Well, good morning, everyone. Once again, welcome on a Daylight Savings Time morning. You look good. You look like you, you were able to, I don't know, throw some extra caffeine in the system or something. Well, I, I, I tell you, before we get into this week, I, I just want to say how encouraged I was last week. Um, for the last four weeks, for those of you who are, who are just joining us, we've been looking at the ways that, some of the ways in which Jesus forever changed the world. Forever forever changed the world. And specifically last week, we zeroed in on the difference that Jesus made and his followers made on how we value kids and how we view kids and how we care for kids and how we protect kids. And the reason I was so encouraged was because afterwards, you know, we, we gave people a chance to respond. And we got people that stepped forward to say, I would love to learn more about sponsoring a kid. And that's encouraging. And we had people that stepped forward and said, I would love to learn more about how I can get involved in the city with helping kids. And that's so encouraging. And we had people stepping forward to say, right here in our midst, with our kids, that we, got, we had a bunch of kids running around here. If you stick around between services and just watch, there's a bunch of kids around here. And, and, and people were saying, we, we want to choose to, to step up and, and get involved with these kids. So I was so encouraged by that. But in addition to the things that we saw and the feedback we asked for, we also had this insert inside your bulletin, and it's there again this week, this one that says, My Response. And what we encouraged people to do at the end of the service was to, to work through this little deal just between them and God. And, and we said we were not going to read them, and I didn't read any of them. We didn't read any of these. But we just asked people to say, you know, personally, have a conversation with God right now. And for some of you, that'll be new, but, but just try this and say, God, is there anything in this area that I should be asking for forgiveness for? And if so, then what would you have me to do? And I tell you, I opened that mailbox up to empty it out, and the yellow sheets just came pouring out. So either people were just you know, sticking in paper, but you guys don't do that. So I won't even say either. You know, it, was, it was so encouraging to see that, that, that the people were engaging with, um, with, with, with what God had to say last week. And, and my hope is that this week is another one. It's another one that, 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 that challenges us to do more than just come and, and listen to a, a Bible lesson, but to say, okay, God, wh- what does this mean? Today, as we continue this series called Follow Me, where we're, we're looking at the difference that Jesus made on the world and, and his followers made on the world, today we're going to press into women's issues. That's where we're going to go today. Um, and it's my hope that it's going to be a game changer for many of you. This week, we're going to zero in on how Jesus' example and his teaching opened doors for women that had never been opened before. We're going to look at that. And the reason I'm especially glad that you're here for this lesson, because that concept isn't new. I'm especially glad you're here because as I was preparing this week, I think God wants to take us deeper than I originally anticipated. For those of you who look ahead, one of the things that I try to do um, most weeks is on the back of the... We, we usually stick a note sheet in, in, your, in your bulletins. And we have a place where you can write down some notes to, to remember some things. And then on the back, I try to let you know, here's what's coming up. If you've been looking at the back, the titles have been changing. There's the t- title that I think we have going into the lesson. And then there's the title as I wrestle with the scriptures that sometimes gets switched. And for this particular topic, I thought we were just going to, I was going to call it a new status. And we, I thought we were going to be zeroing in on, here's how the ancient world saw things when, in regards to women. And then here's what Jesus did to elevate the status of women. And, and we're going to talk about that today, but I think God wants to take us deeper. And the question we're going to end with isn't one that I planned on ending with. The question we're going to end with is, now that these doors are open, are these doors that you should go through? So it's going to be an interesting day, hopefully a helpful day, hopefully a challenging day. 
So that's where we're going to end up. Let's, uh, let's start the journey with a quick refresher of the ancient world and how they viewed women. And, and here's, here's a great insight. It comes from a letter. This is a, an, a Roman letter dated to the first century, the time of Jesus. This is a letter from a, uh, an apparently a loving husband and father that he writes to his wife. He was away from his pregnant wife. He writes her this letter. This is, again, dated to the time of Jesus. And he writes this letter to his, his wife. And he says, I ask and I beg of you, take good care of our son, the son that they already have. And, and then he goes on, you've sent me word. Don't forget you. How can I forget you? Do not and that's got kind of a contemporary flair to it, doesn't it? Sounds, sounds good. Now, if this was the only information you had, how many of you would say, hey, this guy sounds like a loving father, loving husband, if this was all you had, all right? Well, here's, here's what I left out. This was also in that same letter from that same guy. And, he, and he's referring now to his wife is pregnant, and he says, if you deliver before I get home, here's some instructions for you. If you deliver your baby before I get home, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, discard it. And this wasn't just the Roman world. Here's, here's another ancient, uh, ancient uh, excerpt. Um, this is from the Greek world, if we can put that one up. This is from some guy. I won't even try to pronounce his name. But he says this. He says, everyone who raises a son, or wait, let me try this again. Everyone raises a son even if he is poor, but exposes a daughter even if he's rich. Now, exposure is a, is a practice that we talked about last week when we talked about how Jesus forever changed how people view and protect and care for kids. Exposure was what you would do is if you had a baby and it was a baby you didn't want, you would just put it out at the edge of the forest or you'd put it out um, at the city dump. You would just expose it to the elements and let it die. And, and this guy just writes a very common practice. He says, everybody does this. If you're poor, even if you're poor, and you can't afford another mouth, if it's a boy, you keep it. But even the rich... If you have too many girls, you'll, you'll just send them away. That was the world that Jesus was born into. It's just what everyone did. In the ancient world, women were generally considered property. They were the property of men. Therefore, laws regarding women were, for the most part, laws about property. It's like this. In our world, if your car gets damaged, if someone damages your car, they will compensate you for that. In the ancient world, because women were viewed as property, if a woman was violated, if she was harmed, then compensation went to her husband or her father because she was property. That was the world Jesus was born into. And his example and his teaching, it was remarkable in its contrast to the prevailing attitudes of the day. Jesus involved women in deep theological discussions. Jesus affirmed women who wanted to learn and grow. Jesus commended women who exemplified great faith and love and sacrifice. And Jesus, I wish we had more time to show you, especially in the, in the book of Luke, how when Jesus would often tell a parable or a teaching that involved men, there were so many parallels that used women to his teachings and his examples. So here's a question from that note page I referenced earlier. Uh, here's, a, here's a rhetorical question that, that I'd like you to, to write down and then, and then we'll answer it. Did Jesus reinforce ancient attitudes towards women or did he set out to reform them? The answer is reform them. Reform them. Jesus set out to reform these ancient 
attitudes that people held? The answer to this question is easy. Jesus planted seeds of subversion that would take centuries to grow, but over time, the Jesus movement overturned attitudes and even laws, and in the process, the Jesus movement opened doors to women that had never been opened before. Now, when we look back from where we are now, when we look back in time and we look into the era in which Jesus was, was ministering and teaching, we can sometimes look back and we miss the brilliance. Um, I've even heard that there was a seminary. I was talking to, uh, to a, a woman I worked with once, and she was talking at her seminary how even some seminary professors would say, what Jesus should have said was. And sometimes you read the scriptures, and we're actually going to look at a Jesus should have said passage. Because we're going to look at a passage where, with our looking back in time, our 21st century lens, we look at this and go, Jesus, what? Really? You called her a dog? Really? You know, we look back at these passages and we, and we think Jesus should have done something different. But when, when you think about the era Jesus was born into, if you don't think of it, you can miss his brilliance. Jesus didn't tell influential women, like Joanna, hey, you should run for Caesar. He didn't tell her that. We, we can laugh at that because it just, it, that would have been the wrong thing to do. It would have been foolish. And to superimpose our expectations of what Jesus should have said or should have done, it is even more so. What Jesus did worked. Don't forget that. What Jesus said, what Jesus did, it actually worked. And we can look back and say what you should have said. Well, maybe what we think you should have said would not have worked. What Jesus said, what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, the example he set, it worked. And today there are laws in place to prevent discrimination and harassment and abuse. And, and these laws can be traced back, many of them, to the example Jesus set and the things that Jesus taught. And we could choose from dozens of illustrations. I intentionally picked an obscure and confusing one. And it's found in Matthew chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, this is where we're going to spend our time today, so it would be worth it to, to open them up. Matthew chapter 15, starting with verse 21. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read this, um, this section in its entirety, and then we're going to come back and we're going to, we're going to take it piece by piece. Um, I also want to mention, too, if you don't have a Bible at home today, we'd love to give you one free. We always keep a stack of them in the back of the room, and please feel free, um, whether it's this service or an upcoming service, to just take one. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to let us know. They're there for you. So if you don't have a Bible, please, please take one. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 15, starting with verse 21. And Jesus went away from there, and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O, o Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged Jesus, saying, Send her away. She's crying out after us. Jesus answered to this woman, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she came, she knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now, challenging passage. And I, and I wish we had more time than we do because there's so many layers to this one. 
There are so many layers. But let's, let's just press into this, this idea that we're talking about today, that Jesus opened some doors that perhaps we shouldn't go through um, today if we just follow the culture and what they do with these open doors. Again, from our 21st century lens, it seems really harsh. But the way Jesus handled what we're about to look at today was so profound, we're still reading about it today. Remember that. We're still reading about this today. There's a lot going on here, um, but let's, let's dig in. Let's start with verses 21 and 22. So we'll just put those up on the screen. This idea where it says, Jesus went away. He went to this district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and began crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely uh, oppressed by a demon. Now, you got all kinds of inserts in your bulletins today. And we'll try to get back, especially after Easter, to having fewer of those. But, but I didn't know which ones we could have cut today. I included a map in your bulletin. Do you want to pull this out? Let's talk about where he is and, and how this plays into things. Here you've got a map of, of what we frequently refer to as the Holy Land. If you see in the middle, pretty much the middle, there's this big body of water called the Dead Sea. If you go to just kind of the, the, the top of that Dead Sea and work your way over, you'll see Jerusalem and Bethlehem, two very familiar names. If you're familiar at all with the Bible, Bethlehem was the place of Jesus' birth. Jerusalem is the place of, where Jesus died. If you go north of this, you see a little tiny body of water. That's the Sea of Galilee. Jesus spent a lot of time ministering in that area. If you go to the left of the Sea of Galilee, you'll see a city called Nazareth. This is the city where his parents were from and, and the city where, where he grew up. Now, if you go north of there, do you see where Tyre and Sidon are? The, they are on the upper edge. I, I went back and I looked at some of my old maps when, when, when back in the, 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 the time before Jesus, when, when God said, this is the promised land for you, and he divided this up among the tribes. The best I could find with some of the maps, this is the outer edge of one of the farthest tribes. You know, so at one time, this maybe could have loosely been called um, Jewish territory, but for all practical purposes, this is not Jewish territory. These are not towns populated by Jewish people. Jesus is now out of, of what would be considered Jewish territory. And, and I think that's important. Jesus is out here in this area um, that isn't, isn't, uh, isn't an area that you would consider to be Jewish lands. These wouldn't be Jewish towns. And the woman who approaches them then, she's not a Jewish woman. It, the word in our, our um, uh, Bibles is, is translated as a Canaanite woman. It's, it's a word that's hard to translate because it's only used here in the New Testament. But, but what we do know is referring to a woman who is set apart. She is not Jewish. She is not a God follower. Now, what's interesting, what's worth noting here, is that this woman who is not a God follower, who is not a Jewish woman, she had, from, from that ancient, pointing to a map that doesn't exist here on the screens, it, in your, on your green sheets, there was, there was a town, I, I, don't, I don't think it's on your, on your notes here, but there was a town that was only three miles from Sidon. And in that town, there was a big temple. And in that big temple, that was a temple that was dedicated to a God of healing. So she could have, and maybe she did, go to this pagan temple. It was in that area. It was a god, Eshman or Eshman or something like that, this, this pagan god of healing. She, either she had gone there and, and got nothing, or, or she says, I'm not going there. I'm going after this Jewish rabbi. She must have heard something about him, or maybe something inside of her was compelling her. But for whatever reason, she seeks out a Jewish rabbi instead of going to this, 
this other temple where there was supposedly a god of healing. She comes up to them. She cries out with the traditional cry of a beggar, have mercy on me. And she doesn't stop there. She doesn't just say, have mercy on me. She says, O Lord, son of David. Now, this Lord is not the Lord that, um, that uh, uh, Jill referred to earlier. This is a term that could just mean sir. But we know that she thinks of him as more than a sir because she throws this piece on. She doesn't just say sir. She says son of David, which implies she believes there's more to him than just a, a wise person. So she comes with this great respect and, and, and she comes with a deep need. She comes humbly because she has a daughter who's suffering from a demonic oppression. She's got this daughter who's just being tormented. And Jesus, when he encounters this woman who's using great respect, this woman who's got a real need, he does something striking. He does nothing. He ignores her. He just ignores her. Let's go back to the text, picking up with verse 23. He doesn't answer her a word. He ignores her. But his disciples, they came and they begged him, saying, hey, send her away. She gets, she's bugging us. And Jesus answers then to the woman. So now he's no longer ignoring her. He answers her. And he says, hey, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And again, we look at this 21st century eyes. We go, this is, what's going on here? Jesus is appearing very dismissive of this woman in need. First, he ignores her. And then with the prodding of the disciples, he apparently shuts the door right in her face. And what he did was completely in line with cultural expectations. That's what he did. He just was following the cultural expectations. Men and women, they didn't talk to strangers for the most part across a gender barrier. And Jesus appears to be endorsing the status quo. Well, the disciples then, the disciples take their cue from their master. He's silent. He's ignoring her. They say, send her away. And Jesus goes along with the request. And when he does, he speaks with apparently discriminatory overtones. Hey, I was sent to the people of Israel. That's not you. You know, again, what's going on? Where is the lecture from Jesus? Right? Teachable moment, right? Let's lecture the disciples about doing good. Let's, let's do some role modeling when it comes to breaking down racial and gender stereotypes. You know, as much as we, we think this, the best teachers, the best communicators don't just blah, 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 lecture. They create catalytic moments. I believe that's what Jesus did. I believe Jesus saw something in this woman that no one else could see. Now, why do I believe that Jesus saw something in this woman that no one else can see? Because I believe the Bible set that up for us to have that mindset. Let's go first to the Old Testament. The Old Testament section of the Bible is the section of the Bible that, that, that taught where the writings come prior to Jesus. And in the Old Testament section of the Bible, here's a, here's a quote actually from the same passage uh, that, that Jill quoted from earlier. In there, it says, even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, and there's the capital version of the Lord, you know it. God of Israel, you know words even before they come out of mouth. And so in the Old Testament, it's established that there's a principle that God knows our thoughts, he knows our words before they even come out of our mouth. Well, in the book of Matthew, where we are now, Matthew ascribes that same divine ability to Jesus at least twice before the passage that we just read. 
Here's one, Jesus knowing their thoughts said this, and then Matthew 12, 25, Jesus knowing their thoughts. And in Matthew 12, 25, if you want to look that one up, it's very specific. It isn't kind of a general, oh, I can tell you're cynical. In that passage, it's very, very specific. He knew some very, very specific thoughts, as if he could read their minds. He could see into their souls. So I'm working from the framework that the Bible has already established the fact that Jesus can see into people. And he sees into this woman. And I believe that he saw something in this woman that was so strong. He saw courage. He saw faith. And he thought, rather than give a blobbity blobbity blah lecture, let's expose the depth of this woman's character. Let's expose the depth of her faith. And in doing so, we're also going to expose some ugly things in the disciples. Let's create this catalytic this catalytic moment. We, we Don't forget either that Jesus, he, he's surrounded by whom in this passage? He's surrounded by his disciples. What do you do with disciples? You disciple them, right? So here, what Jesus is going to do, he's going to disciple his disciples. He's going to create this catalytic moment. He's going to use a faith lesson from a Canaanite woman to disciple his disciples. At least that's how I see things. And here's why. Let's continue going in. Let's pick up with verse 25. The woman then, she comes, she kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. Instead of just stopping when Jesus apparently shuts the door, she says, again with reverence, Lord, help me. And he answers. And now he comes out with those words that are just hard to hear. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to dogs. Was this a slam? Yes. It was a slam. It was was horrible language. Dogs were not the family pets. They were scavengers. They were were flea-ridden. This was harsh. Why would Jesus do this? Well, I believe as Jesus anticipated, the woman didn't give up when Jesus appeared to brush her off. And you see her response. It's moving and magnificent in its simplicity. Lord, help me. She's got the sobbing screams of her tormented child still in her mind. She risks ridicule. She risks rejection. She takes a posture of humility, and she continues to press in. And how does Jesus reply? He uses words. He uses words that are harsh words that other Jewish men use. It was not uncommon for Jewish folks to call non-Jewish people it wasn't uncommon for that. And, and to me, at least, I look at this, and, and some other commentators have said the same thing. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, okay, let me get this straight. You want me to get rid of this woman? This woman whose daughter is being tormented by demonic forces, you just want me to blow her off. That's what you want? And she's coming with reverence. She's coming with humility. She could be at that pagan temple. She's come to us, and you want me to blow her off, okay? Let me show you how ugly this looks. It's almost as if he's doing that. You know, I, I, my mind went to, um, to almost 2,000 years later when a man named Eugene Connor would order Birmingham fire hoses and police dogs to be unleashed on African Americans. And when... when, when Many Americans saw those images. They were sickened. They were sickened when they saw what was in a a man's heart, when they saw what was this ugliness that was in that man's heart. When they saw it come out, they were sickened. And some people point that to a, a turning point in civil rights, 
When, when, when the world saw that ugliness made claim. Well, through his actions, Jesus put the ugliness of discrimination on display. And what I love about it is when he did that, he intentionally softened the term. He could have used this, this term for the dogs that is the straight-up scavenger, flea-ridden dogs. He softens it. It's almost as if he tips his hand a little bit. He uses a, a phrase that's translated here as little dogs. It, it's, it softens that term. It's almost as if saying, all right, I'm going to play along, but let me tip my hand just a little bit. I don't think she's a dog. And so, so he does this. He says this, um, this, 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 this slam to her. And then how does the woman reply? I, I don't think it's a stretch to say most people, you go up to this rabbi who you're you know, maybe not even sure this is going to work. You're, you're already taking the risk. You're putting yourself out there, but you're doing it for your daughter. You're doing it for the situation. You come in humility. You do everything right. And he, he first ignores you. And then he says, hey, I'm not here for you. And then he calls her a dog. You know, most people at that point, they'd be like, well, forget you. And, just, and then just hurl back the insults. Isn't that how we often respond? We don't get what we want. We, we just then react. We just react negatively. But instead of firing back, this courageous, this faith-filled woman, she continues to respond with humility and even a touch of humor. Moving on to verse 27, she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And as I was studying this, I got all choked up because I, I could picture Jesus getting a gleam in his eye, going, yeah, boom. I knew you'd say that. And he just says now what everyone else can see, great is your faith. Great is your faith. And she's now elevated for the right reasons. She had passed the test, just as Jesus anticipated she would. Could Jesus have done things differently? Yep. He could have lectured the disciples, blah, 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 blah. How many of you remember many blah, 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 blah lectures, you know? Instead of doing that, what he did invokes a response that has us talking about it 20 centuries and on the other side of the world later. So we can say Jesus should have said this or that, but what Jesus did worked, and what Jesus did has us talking about it 20 centuries later on the other side of the world. And again, there's other layers here that we don't have time for. The, the, that region that this is taking place in, there was another account that had happened in the days of old with a prophet named Elijah. The same area, a woman has a son who, who dies and Elijah raises her from the dead. There's so many other layers that we could go to. But what I want to point I want to make today is that Jesus' example and his teachings forever changed how the world valued and treated women because women began to be drawn for all the right reasons, not just to Jesus, but then to this new kingdom community that he founded. No one else treated women like these spirit-filled followers of Jesus did. In Christ, there was no male or female. Women weren't treated as property, but as brothers and sisters now. This community, it was like you were brothers and sisters, and they were inheritors of the same promises. Husbands were instructed now to lay down their lives for their wives. They weren't my property. Husbands, you lay down your lives for these women. As Christ laid down his life for the church. Uh, here's a quote from a woman. Uh, this dates way back. She was the first woman to receive a degree from Oxford. 
And this brilliant woman, she became a devoted follower of Jesus and provides a really good summary as to why so many women are drawn to the one that we call Christ. Here's what she says. She goes, it is no wonder that women were the first at the cradle and the last at the cross. They had never known a man like this man. There had never been such another. A prophet and teacher who never nagged at them, never just empty flattery or patronizing. He never made arch jokes about them. He never treated them as either the women, God help us, or the ladies, oh, God bless them. The quote continues, He rebuked without demeaning. He praised without condescending. He took their questions and arguments seriously. He never mapped out their sphere for them, never urged them to be feminine or jeered them from being female, who had no axe to grind, no uneasy male dignity to defend. So here's a starter question, and the question that I thought we were going to end with. Are you part of this movement that Jesus ushered in? Are you a part of this movement We live in a world where many of these same ancient attitudes that were there at the time of Jesus, they're still here. Around the world, female babies are still killed for the crime of being girls. Women are still treated as property. They're sold and abused by those who can. Women are still discriminated against in homes, in schools, and in workplaces. And where I thought we'd land this week was right here. And we're almost done, too, if you're getting concerned about that. But I thought we'd we'd land here where we'd we'd say, okay, now what I'd like you to do is to say, these ancient attitudes, do you still hold any of these? If so, take a moment and just pray and say, God, what would you have me to ask for forgiveness for? You know, Or, or maybe not just which ones do I hold? Am I doing anything about it when I see these things happening? You know, and to just pray and say, okay, God, what would you have me to do? And put that in the mailbox. But I feel like there's that one question that we're supposed to go and take this deeper. And here's the question. I encourage you to, to write this down in your notes. Would Jesus encourage modern women to walk through every new door that is now open to them? I think this is the question we're really supposed to wrestle with. Because the other one, You didn't need anybody to tell you anything about that. Would Jesus encourage modern women to walk through every door that's now open to them? It used to be, I put put an example here, it used to be, it's always been, that men have objectified women. They've treated them like objects. It has always been that way. Is that good? No, it's wrong. It is foolish. It is destructive. Should men do it because they can? Should men go through that open door because they can? No! No, we shouldn't. But we live in a world now where it goes both ways more than ever before. Just ask the parent of a teenage boy. It used to be, boy, the the boys would hound the girls. I have more parents now that tell me, who are parents of boys, that the girls hound them more than ever before. Case in point, the ancient world had no equivalent to this. can we put up a People magazine, Sexiest Man Alive? The ancient world didn't have this, you know? And so now there's opportunities for women to go through and to objectify men like Channing Tatum. How, how can we compete with that, right? Or, the, or here's another one. I think this might have been the year prior. There's Bradley Cooper. Let's go back in time to a young Brad Pitt. And now this is the one that's hardest for me. Don't put it up yet, Dory. 
This is one that's hardest for me because this is the sexiest man of 1992, and I have no idea how I can compete with Nick Nolte. Take a look at this picture right here. This is <laughs> sexiest man 1992. When you objectify a man like that, the rest of us, we don't have a shot. Look it up. 1992, sexiest man alive. So <laughs> on a more serious note, doors are now open to women that were not open in the past. Women, you can objectify men today, and it's okay in our culture to do so. Should you just walk through that door? No. And here's a couple other thoughts, too, on these. These were things that have always been open to guys. And for the record, should guys walk through those doors? No. No. They're foolish and destructive. But now women, it is still not completely equal, but women now, even from the time that I was a teenager until now, women can be much more sexually promiscuous, and our culture says it's okay. There's still a discrepancy, but that has closed. Women now can blindly climb the corporate ladder, much more than they could before. Should they blindly climb it, just thinking pursuit of success at all costs? Or should they count the costs, just as men should? Viewing wealth. Women can accumulate wealth. Are there still discrepancies? Yes, but doors are open now for women to accumulate wealth in ways they never could have in the ancient world. Are you accumulating it through a lens of, I've earned this, or God has given me abilities and talents and gifts, and how do I steward them for kingdom purposes? And, and this last one. Men, early on, they could relinquish their, parent, their role as parents. Should they have? No, never. Women are able to do that more than they could before. It's more culturally acceptable to have someone else raise your kids. Should you let that happen? I would argue that just because a door is open to you, whether you're a male or a female, that doesn't mean you should go through it. It doesn't mean you should go through it. Jesus taught us a better way. And then he said, follow me. And those who do that, as Andy Stanley says, they look back. With, or they're able to make better choices and look back with fewer regrets. So this morning, as we do close now, I want to encourage you to not just follow in the footsteps of Jesus, but in the footsteps of that Canaanite woman who came to him humbly and looked to him and said, I'm looking to you for healing here and I'm looking to you for help. So as we close today, what we're going to do in just a minute or two is we're going to play some just soft music. Um, we're going to give you a couple minutes. And what I'd like you to do, this will be familiar ground to many of you. It might be new ground to some of you to just stop and just quietly, quiet your heart and mind as best you can and then just say, okay, God, what... Is there something that I should say I'm sorry for? Perhaps it's something that we looked at here today. You know, maybe I've been objectifying men or I've been objectifying women. You know, viewing things, letting my mind go places that it just shouldn't go. I'm sorry. And then, and then say, okay, God, now fill me with the Spirit of Christ. Forgive me and fill me. And what would you have me to do about that? You know, get help. What? You know, and, and just go down that list. Have I been blindly pursuing ambition? that may or may not be from God? You know, have, have I been stewarding the resources, the gifts, the talents? Have I been doing it for myself or am I doing it for a higher reason? Just take a couple minutes and do that. And while we do that, I'm going to put passage here up on the screen. It says, enter by the narrow gate. I mean, there's all kinds of wide doors now open to all of us, men and women. It's so easy to violate any of those. But Jesus encourages us, and these are his words, enter by a narrow gate. So that's why I've got these little lampposts here. Here's our narrow gate, best I could do, right, on short notice. 
Here's our narrow gate. And we'll have the mailbox up here. And, and, and I would encourage you to, to, to think of ways, instead of just doing what everyone else does, um, would you say, okay, God, is there a narrow gate you want me to go through? Something that you would have me say I'm sorry for. And then show me what you'd have me to do. And, and, and during that time when the music is playing, I would encourage some of you to just fold your paper over and come up and actually, while the music's playing, just put it in the box. You know, I, I think about that woman, and, and she's just one of many examples of people who did some sort of physical act to just cement, you know, what was going on. So while the music's playing, feel the freedom to, to come and write it down and stick it right in the mailbox. And then I'll close the service in, uh, in just a couple minutes. All right, let me pray for this time, and then we'll play that music and, uh, and give you a chance to, to respond. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are active in this world today. Lord, and we do pray. I, I, I continue to echo that prayer that was prayed earlier from Jill, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. We thank you that you're a God that can speak to every one of us now as individuals because all of these things don't apply to everyone. But we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak to, to us and, 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 and point at that peace where you would most have us bring it to you and to confess our sin and confess that we've done things wrong. And then, Holy Spirit, we pray that your kindness then would lead us to repentance, that you would, that you would give us a, a, a next step, whether it's to seek help, whether it's to say you're sorry, whether it's to get involved and to help get kids out of horrible situations, get women out of horrible situations. Whether it is, perhaps there's people here that are employing others, and, and, and perhaps they're employing women for the same work at a lower wage. Lord, convict them of that. Whatever it is, Father, whatever it is, we pray that your Spirit would now speak to us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks, you guys. Yeah, go ahead and put that in. You know, this is an exercise that you're able to do at home, too. In fact, I would encourage you to do things like this. When you read a passage of Scripture, especially one that is hard to understand, get a, get a, a study Bible or two and, and look at what some others have said about it. And then, whether you understand it or not, spend a little bit of time just reflecting and saying, God, how would you have me respond to, to what, I just, what I just read? Well, let me close our service. Why don't you please stand? Let me pray a blessing over us. If you'd like to continue this, you can stay in here as long as you like. And if you want to put something in here, you certainly can um, or, uh, or, or not. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for these men and women um, who, who were listening uh, to what you had to say. Lord, these are hard words. It's a world where we want to respond um, with hostility instead of humility, like, like that woman did when we feel wronged or when we want something. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be people who follow these examples of faith. And we follow, first and foremost, the example of Christ. Lord, we pray for your spirit to fill us and empower us. We acknowledge before you that we can't do this on our own, that we need help. We need help from from others, these brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need help from, from your spirit, changing our minds and changing our hearts and giving us power to do things that we otherwise couldn't do. Lord, we thank you that you've taught us a new and better way to live. And Lord, we pray that you will give us the the, the strength and the encouragement we need to, to set out down that narrow path, the one that leads to a better life. Lord, bless these folks as they go forth now. We pray that, that you give them a fantastic week, that you bring us all back together again so that we can look at more about you and your teachings that can affect our lives and our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. God bless you.